The Parents Show on Mix 92.6. Sponsored by Raiden Solicitors, award-winning specialist family lawyers. See RaidenSolicitors.co.uk. A very warm welcome to The Parents Show on Mix 92.6. I'm Lydia Curry, and I'm really delighted this evening to be joined by Lena Gardner, who is with Raiden Solicitors here in St. Albans. Lena, thanks for joining us on The Parents Show. Thanks for having me, Lydia. So now tell our listeners a little bit about your role within Raiden Solicitors. Sure. So I'm a legal director here at Raiden Solicitors. I'm a specialist family law solicitor. Raiden's is a specialist family law firm. That's all that we do. I've been with the firm for around nine years. Um, As you mentioned, I work in the St Albans office and I also live locally in St Albans. And um, I deal with a wide range of family law cases, including many cases that unfortunately involve um, issues of domestic abuse, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, unfortunately, it's not a subject we like covering on the parents show, but it's one that we feel we absolutely should be covering. And that's why it's great to speak to you today, Lena. Now, can you make it really nice and simple for our listeners. When you speak about domestic abuse, what exactly can that entail? And can you give us an idea of the the spectrum of actions that can be included in domestic abuse? Yeah. So domestic abuse, it's now widely recognized to constitute a really wide spectrum of actions and behaviors. And this is really something that has developed over time. Previously, when we thought of domestic abuse, we would think primarily about physical abuse. However, that's no longer the case. It's now very well recognized that this type of behavior can encompass all manner of different behaviors and actions. Um, So we now see lots of cases involving psychological abuse, sexual abuse, financial abuse and emotional abuse. So a really wide ranging pattern of behaviour. Thanks for explaining that, Lena. And I'd like to know how common is domestic abuse? How often are you seeing it in in your work, in your everyday work? Unfortunately, I am seeing it more and more. I would now say that probably the majority of my cases involve some form of domestic abuse. It's obviously very difficult to quantify in society generally, but we do have some really good stats on this from the Office for National Statistics. So to give you an example, it is estimated that approximately one in five adults have experienced domestic abuse since the age of 16 years. So really, really common. That's breathtaking, actually. I I didn't expect you to say it was that frequent an incident. That's that's definitely sobering to hear. And when we're talking about domestic abuse, are we talking about abuse against women or is it also against men? And what would you say is important for us to understand domestic abuse in relation to gender? So domestic abuse um, can also be perpetrated against men. I think it's widely assumed that domestic abuse is something that only affects women, but we know that that's not the case. And indeed, I have represented a number of male victims of domestic abuse. What we do know is that domestic abuse against men is less common than abuse against women, but it's still fairly significant numbers. According to some of the data that I looked at, there were about 
700,000 men who reported being a victim of domestic abuse in 2022 alone. So we are talking um, fairly large numbers. Thanks for that, Lena. And I think it's really important for us to remember that as well. And it probably, the more we talk openly about it, the more it's likely to be recorded um, that men experience domestic abuse. Absolutely. I think that historically there's been a bit of a stigma surrounding domestic abuse generally, but also um, domestic abuse perpetrated against men. And the more that we can you know, talk about th- these issues, the more that people will be able to feel that they are able to come forward and speak out about their experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned the different categories of or different types of abuse right at the beginning of our, our discussion. And I wonder within those categories, are there subtle forms of domestic abuse that you might not actually think of as abuse? Because I, I think our listeners would be surprised to think of financial abuse or other types of non-physical violence, because as you say, I think the vast majority of people just associate abuse as being physical. Yeah, that's right. So domestic abuse can really take a number of different forms. And as you said, it can be very subtle behaviours that in isolation, perhaps um, wouldn't seem significant. But when they constitute a pattern of behaviour over time, that's when it does become you know, a, a real form of abusive behaviour. So some examples would include things like keeping you from seeing or communicating with your friends and family, insulting you, putting you down, belittling you, placing your income in their own bank account and denying you access to it, preventing you from working or limiting the hours that you work, restricting your daily activities, um, spying on you, kind of keeping tabs on you, using social media to keep tabs on you, and perhaps looking through your phone and checking pictures and messaging and messages and calls, and also kind of questioning you endlessly about the things that you've been doing. So all of these things can form a pattern of behavior that constitutes domestic abuse. And one of the labels that we we attach to that kind of abuse is coercive and controlling behavior. Coercive and controlling behavior is now a criminal offense in its own right. And that is really an act or a pattern of acts of threats, humiliation, intimidation, or other abuse that is used to harm, punish, or frighten the victim. So it's a really, really wide range of behaviours that can be very subtle. I think listeners would be very surprised to hear all those different types of behaviour. And I'd like to ask you, why is it important that it's a pattern? It seems like you're, you emphasise the word pattern in this and why is it important? So the reason it's important that it's a pattern is because if you were to take one or two of the things that I've described in isolation, then they may not seem like particularly significant types of behavior. But when they form a pattern of behavior over time, where the perpetrator is really chipping away at the victim over and over again, that's when this really tips into an abusive relationship. They're all really important to bear in mind. And and I mean, the idea of monitoring your partner on social media or trying to make sure that your partner doesn't meet friends or family, I think are really, really interesting ones and ones that can be done in a very subtle manner. It doesn't necessarily have to be that the person is saying you are not allowed to see your friends, but it transpires that it's so difficult to see friends and family that 
they actually end up ruling it out. Yeah, exactly that. And I think that, you know, technology has really made it easier for perpetrators of this type of behavior. Because nowadays with um, social media and also, for example, the Find My Phone app that, you know, many people have on their phone, we see that a lot where the perpetrator of abuse is keeping tabs on the victim by using things like Find My Phone. I've had cases where um, perpetrators have even gone so far as to put a tracker on the victim's car so that they know where they are at at all times. So, yeah, technology has has really opened up this type of behaviour. That's pretty shocking, putting a tracker on somebody's car. And I hadn't thought of the find my phone app being used in that way. So I'm sure that'll that'll be um, very surprising to our listeners as well. So what would you say is the first step that anybody should take if they think they're being subjected to domestic abuse? So the really good news is that because this is now widely recognized that this is, you know, commonplace, that many relationships, unfortunately, are abusive relationships. The good news is that there is so much support out there now. So the first step is to speak to somebody, whether that be a family member or a friend or a professional, such as a solicitor like myself, a doctor or the police. That would really be the first step. There are also some um, amazing organisations out there that offer free advice to victims of domestic abuse, such as the National Domestic Abuse Helpline, um, which is run by an organisation called Refuge. There's also another organisation called Mankind, who have a phone line dedicated to male victims of domestic abuse. So there are so many support services out there, which is incredible. There's also lots of information available on the NHS website as well. That's a, a really broad spectrum of people to go to. And it sounds like starting to talk about it is the most important first step, be it a friend, family or, or the police. Absolutely. It's, I think sometimes taking that first step can be the scariest thing. But by telling somebody what's going on, you will then have access to the whole range of support services that I've mentioned And obviously seeking early legal advice is really important as well, because there are lots of things that we can do as solicitors to help victims of domestic abuse. Thanks for that, Lena. Well, can you describe some of the possible outcomes that can be from these kind of situations from approaching somebody like a lawyer or the police? Absolutely. So the police can obviously investigate and potentially charge somebody with domestic abuse offences, and that could lead to a criminal conviction. But on the on the, the what we call the civil side, the family law side, there are other remedies available in the family courts that don't necessarily involve the police and criminal proceedings. So the two most commonly used remedies for victims of domestic abuse are what we call non-molestation orders and occupation orders. And they are really powerful um, types of orders that can be made to protect victims of domestic abuse and their children. A non-molestation order would prevent the perpetrator from contacting the victim or coming near them. And an occupation order can ultimately prevent the perpetrator from actually coming into the, the property, the family home. So really powerful orders that we can help our clients obtain in the family courts. I think I'm 
I'm surprised that there are steps that you can take without having to press charges or take action, police action against a partner. So I think that'll be a huge relief to a lot of people that you don't necessarily have to take police action for anything to be done or to protect yourself. Yeah, it's something that we would obviously discuss with our client in the initial meeting. And these cases are always very fact specific. But when we meet with our clients, we would take a very detailed history, a detailed chronology of everything that's been going on. And we would help formulate a plan as to the next steps. And, you know, that may or may not involve a report being made to the police. Right. So it doesn't rule it out completely, but it's it's possible without a police report. That's right. Great. Thank you, Lena. So you mentioned some great resources there. What other support is out there for people who are the victims of domestic abuse? So lots of support is out there for people who are the victims of domestic abuse. And um, as I've mentioned, legal advice, taking early legal advice is always advisable. NHS website is a really good one. There's lots of information there. There are some really good websites out there that contain a wealth of information and resources. So, for example, the Women's Aid website is very informative with lots of information. There's also the Victim Support website, which, again, contains a whole wealth of um, information and resources. Refuge, the National Centre for Domestic Violence as well. So really multiple different organisations that are able to help and provide support for people that are living with domestic abuse. And I should also mention that the support is not just aimed at people that are themselves suffering from abuse, but also for people who fear that a family member or a friend is suffering from abuse. So if you're worried about somebody, then you know, these organisations will help or a solicitor will be able to help and provide you with that legal advice. That's a surprise. So, so for example, if you suspected a friend or a family was the victim of domestic abuse, I could approach a lawyer to get advice independently and then provide that advice back to the person. That's right. Absolutely. And in fact, I've just met with some clients in the last week or so who are in exactly that situation, very worried about a family member. They don't really know um, who to turn to or what to do. So I have been able to give them that initial legal advice that they need in order to know what steps they can take in order to to protect their family member. Thanks, Lena. And on that getting legal advice suggestion because I I mean my thought is you've no idea what the possible outcomes are if you don't get advice from an expert and of course a lawyer is an expert in this case so for those who might be nervous about contacting a lawyer or getting legal advice can you describe the steps and how they would do that Sure. So we really try and make it as easy as possible for our clients. We understand how stressful it is. We understand how daunting it is. So we offer a fixed fee meeting for our new clients where they would come into um, our office. We've got an office here in central St Albans. All the meeting can take place on Zoom where we would talk everything through in that meeting in a lot of detail, really get to know the ins and outs of the situation And prior to that meeting, we ask our clients to complete a form online. Um, Obviously, it's um, entirely confidential and they can provide written details of the situation. And that really helps us make the best use of the time in the meeting. 
So we do try and make the process as smooth as we possibly can. And I'd imagine filling out the form before you go into the meeting probably helps you put your thoughts in order, get your kind of a big picture of of what's going on and helps you prepare. Exactly that. And the form asks various questions and it has various prompts. So it really helps our clients to focus on on the background context and it enables them, as you say, to kind of get their thoughts in order prior to that meeting so that we can focus on the really important points. And it also gives you a chance to prepare in advance of the meeting too. So like no, no time's wasted at all. Exactly. It means that we can make the best use of the time in the meeting rather than having to spend half the time gathering background information. And um, we would already have that in advance. So it's it's a really, really smooth process. Thanks, Lena. And uh, it's such an emotional issue. And you can imagine or I can imagine that that anybody who is taking that first step is potentially traumatized by the situation so having the time to think through the situation and write it down in advance is probably a huge huge help and absolutely often when people come and seek that initial legal advice from us you know of course their emotions are all over the place it can be very difficult to to talk about these things so having the opportunity to set out the key information prior to the meeting I think is is really helpful that's great, Lena. Thanks for thanks for that. Thanks for explaining the situation because I'm sure that will help and reassure anybody who's listening who thinks, you know, okay, this this sounds like a process I can go through. It's not not as daunting as perhaps people would have thought. That's right. And, you know, all of our clients can be assured that we, as I said at the beginning, we're family law specialists. It's all that we do day in, day out. So we have a real wealth of experience dealing with these cases and in particular these very sensitive cases that do involve issues of domestic abuse. And before we let you go, Elena, just one last question. I mean, you must have seen quite a few examples and met quite a few family members over, over the years. Have you got any words of advice for people who are in situations of domestic abuse or are considering calling for legal support? My advice would be there is so much support out there and taking the first step is the scariest thing. Once you've taken that first step and accessed the support, then we can really help make things better for you. So my advice would be speak to somebody, access the support that's available and we will help you through what is an incredibly difficult time not only for our client, but also for any children that are also involved. That's great. Lena, thank you so much for joining us on The Parents Show and for sharing your advice and incredibly helpful information to help our listeners navigate this topic that, um, yeah, sadly, it's it's prevalent and we've got to get the facts out there so people are, are tooled up. Absolutely. It was um, really nice to speak with you, Lydia. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Thanks a million for joining us on The Parents Show, Lena. Thank you. So that's Lena Gardner from Raiden Solicitors joining us on The Parents Show.